I'm a bit of a film buff, and so I want to start with a reference to my favorite film of this last year. It was called The Marigold Hotel. That's the short version. How many of you? Yeah, we have a number. Classic Unitarian movie, if you ask me. I bring it up because I want to lift up a phrase. The manager of the hotel says to his guest residents, in India we have a saying that everything works out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's because it's not yet the end. (laughs) Very universalist sentiment. I wouldn't counter that with this, which I understand was attributed once to a New Englander who said this is typical of particularly the attitude in Maine. And man walks out onto his morning doorstep and sees a resplendent day, one of those spring days where a north wind is blown in, low humidity, extremely clear blue sky, things are in bloom, the birds are chirping, and he yells into his wife, We're going to pay for this! <laughs> That attitude is called just retribution for sins. The belief that all pleasure is somehow bad, and if it's good now, you will get in trouble for it later. Universalists have generally believed, historically, that there was no hell and damnation, no hellfire because the beneficent nature of the universe would not allow that horror to exist. Historically, they believed that. They did, however, believe in retribution for sin up until the early part of the 20th century when they finally came to their senses and realized that pleasure and joy were good. (laughs) They were also, as we moved into the 20th century, both Unitarians and Universalists, welcoming of humanism. Unitarians, historically, more so and more on the scientific and secular side of the spectrum of humanism. And yet both universalists and Unitarians were welcoming of the humanist spirit. The universalists, however, called themselves believing humanists, believing that love was at the center of the nature of the world and that human beings were good, but so was the nature of the universe. And therefore they centered in love and continued many of them to be what is called believing humanists rather than scientific or secular humanists in their spirit. But Unitarian Universalism and Universalism has not been one thing but many different things. I want to emphasize meaning is continuous, love is possible, and choice is part of how we create both meaning and love. But a little bit more about Universalist history. The editor of the Universalist newsletter, The Leader, L.B. Fisher wrote, Universalists are often asked to tell what they stand for. The only true answer to give is that we do not stand at all. We move. We do not stand still, nor do we define any improbable positions as ours, theologically speaking. We are therefore harder to count and to form into imposing bodies. We grow. We march. We march. And all things do and must do. 
The main question for universalists are not where we stand, but in which direction are we moving. The main interest to this perspective is what is true and to keep our movement in line with that sense of truth. I want to follow that with one of the great religious leaders of the universalist movement, Clinton Lee Scott, a signer of the Humanist Manifesto in the 1930s. He said, the known is not enough. We are drawn to all that we do not yet know. We are infinitely curious, and that curiosity moves to a commitment to a forward vision, a forward-looking vision of religion. Everything is in process. Nothing is complete. Anything is possible given the next moment. Now, do you believe that? Come on. Is anything possible in your life given the next moment? Sure, there's momentum. Sure, there's history. Sure, there's history for this congregation in its life. But can you transform the meaning of it in the next moment? Universalism says by the choices we make, that we can. Everything is in process and that that's a gift. For historically, universalists believed that we did not go to hell but to heaven, but that that is a metaphor as well as a reality. That hell is here on earth. And have you seen hell lately? Hell happens here on earth, and so does its redemption. So does its transformation from hell to heaven by the meaning we make and the choices we create. Religious liberals say that revelation is not sealed, that we continually can change the nature of our lives and the meaning of it by what we discover, and that we continually can be in discovery. I tend to believe that one of the most profound forms of worship is to learn something new. The universe is everything, right? (laughs) God, if you will, and I know I've got some secularists here, (laughs) the nature of the universe, that which is ultimate, is everything, and to discover something new about it is to know more of it, and therefore to be in greater relationship with it. Universalist sentiment. A Unitarian Universalist young adult was once asked by one of her conservative Orthodox friends, Sister, are you born again? (laughs) And if you don't think our children don't hear this, are you born again? She said, yes, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. I'm a born again and again and again and again. We are people who are continually revisioning our lives and the nature of the world by new discoveries and new truth. The stark contrast with ourselves and the conservative and the orthodox is they say there is one set of truth, one set of scripture, one way to see the world, and that doubt is the handmade handmaiden of the devil. And we say we doubt the devil. <laughs> And that doubt will lead us to greater and deeper understandings of the truth. I told you I was a film buff. Well, there's a film I'm sure I'd be doubt, I doubt, uh, playing in the fields of the Lord. I thought I'd get you. <laughs> it's a very bad movie. <laughs> Except that the truth of it is profound enough that I will tell you a bit of the story of it. 
two, two Christian missionary couples are going to somewhere in the third world to teach the indigenous population the truth of God's word and save their souls. And so in the movie, they show up somewhere in, I don't know, Equatorial Jungle, South America, I assume. And they're there to, to convert the heathens to the way of the Lord. But one of the couples are religious liberals and Christians, but religious liberals. And they kind of like, they hang out with the natives and they go, you know, it looks to me as if they know more about living here than we do. <laughs> and why are we trying to take our religion and foist it onto them when they seem to be doing perfectly fine without us. What are we doing here, says the one man. What are we doing here? And begins to question his own faith and move into authentic relationship with the natives who begin to approach him because he doesn't assume he knows more than they do. And a real relationship begins to develop. The other couple are on the right wing of the religious perspective, Christian, and have the truth and are sure they're there to save souls. And the more the liberal questions, the more adamant and judgmental and orthodox the other couple becomes because this couple is blocking these people's ways to the Lord. And you see in the movie, the one who is certain about the truth become more judgmental harsher and more oppressive and in the name of love Christianity is about love remember in the name of love becomes so judgmental as to drive love out of the relationships they have with all of the people there and so oddly enough openness lack of judgment and the acceptability of doubt creates authentic relationship and the spirit of what we might call Christ or the Christian sense of love becomes present. I loved it. (laughs) As a religious liberal, I said to myself, you know, here's a piece of truth. When we open ourselves without judgment, without presumption, without expectation, we can accept what is, which is an act of love. When we don't assume that we know what's right for someone else and we allow them to be who they are, that's a dangerous thing to do, you know, (laughs) then that affirmation affirms the inherent worth and dignity of that person and an authentic relationship of mutuality and genuine love begins to take place. I believe that that's the nature of a loving relationship at its best. And that there is in life the invitation to find love and to create meaning in every opportunity of interaction, every moment of our days, and that's in part what it means to be human at our best, or the best of religious humanism. I mentioned sin earlier, and I figured I would get back to it. It's kind of like one of the things that you get to occasionally in religion. Unitarian Universalists aren't really good about sin. It's not one of our favorite topics, you know. But I think that it has a place. Most of the time, we theologians and others tend to define sin as missing the mark. You intend to be better than you are and therefore you fall short and therefore you're sinful. Eh, It's so, so useful. It's all right. I I have never particularly liked the idea of sin because I didn't find it all that useful. It's not without its uses. But I finally read something I liked. The German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer defines sin as human partiality. None of us are ever complete. 
We're always in process. None of us is ever whole. There are always things more we can do. And once we have a sense of equilibrium and we think we have it figured out, that's when the stool gets knocked out from underneath us. (laughs) And we get to reform ourselves again. And it's that continual striving for wholeness that moves us towards it. But none of us is ever whole, always partial. That's his definition of being human and sinful, if you will. And I say to you that it is not a curse, but a blessing. The blessing is that you can continue to grow and change. That the universe will welcome it. And that that's a good thing. And so the very meaning of our lives is a result, can be transformed by the way we understand who we are and move forward in the world to make ourselves and it more whole. So that's kind of one of the first pieces of universalism. It's about transformation and making meaning and making our lives whole. The other part of it that I want to lift up is the the loving nature of the universe and love is the ultimate transforming quality of our lives at its best. When I was relatively early in my career, I worked as a chaplain at the Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco for a year or two. I was not sure when I left seminary whether I wanted to be a parish minister or a chaplain, and I did a couple of years of chaplaincy and loved it, and they said in order to be a supervisory chaplain, you have to have three years of being in a parish, and I went into the parish, and I never stopped. (laughs) I just kind of got lost. Anyway, that's another issue. (laughs) But while I was working as the chaplain, I spent most of my time in the critical care wards, But for three months, I was assigned to the social and mental health wards of the hospital, including the acute psychiatric ward. The nurses, medical mental health practitioners, physicians said, you know, most of our people are heavily, heavily drugged. Halidol, Thorazine, they're chemically restrained until they finally settle down enough that their sanity returns, and then we can begin treatment. But there's no reason for a chaplain here because they're usually so anesthetized that they won't be able to make sense of your conversation. Well, I said, well, then I'll minister to the staff. (laughs) Well, while I was there, I noticed that this one couple that had come in about the same time, within a few days of each other, you know, The medical restraint, the chemical restraint was beginning to lift. They were beginning to brighten, started showing up. And every time they came out of group, they seemed to be sitting together. They didn't come in together. They came in days apart. No, they were not related. No, they had not met before. But they kept sitting together. And after one of the sessions, I noticed that they were holding hands. And I said to the staff, they're holding hands. (laughs) oh my god they said maybe they've fallen in love we better put them in separate wards (laughs) and I said these are adults who may be impaired but do you really think that this is a place so far gone that love isn't possible here you really want to medically rule out love as a possibility oh they said hmm (laughs) Here I am ministering to the staff, right? And so I say to them, why don't you leave love in place and see what happens? Well, the next thing you know, they were holding hands most of the time, and occasionally they're caught kissing. And, you know, 
and they get saner and saner and seem to be doing better and better and are discharged and leave the hospital as a couple. It changed my view of life. Is there any place in the world so horrific, so distorted by human ill that love can't show up? My seeing of love present in the mental health ward of the hospital made me believe that even here love was possible. Even in this awful, horrific place in their lives, they discovered something transforming and wholeness, making love in their midst. Well, this is my story, but it's not just about that couple or about my story. It's about you. Where in your life have you felt like things were so far gone that transforming love wasn't possible for you? What relationship in your life is so broken that it can't be mended by love? Tell me. Is love not possible there too? Oh, come on. Are you universalist or not? I'm a universalist. Love is possible even where you least expect it. Even in those relationships that are difficult. Yes, even in that one. I mean, even that one. (laughs) Yeah, that one too. My sentiment as a universalist is that there is no place beyond the reach of love. Now back to the issue of how we create meaning and how we create love. It's by the choices we make. Um, Ken Blinkhorn gave me a newspaper article about Calvinism which believes that it's all God's fault. God predestines everything and that we, like the Methodists and some Baptists, believe that we actually have choice about what we do. Around choice, I particularly like the work of Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Some of you may know the book. Viktor Frankl is in the horrors of Nazi Germany's concentration camps, and he says... Even in this darkest, most horrific place in human history, I can choose how I live. They may choose when and how I die, but how I live, whether I choose to be courteous to my fellow inmates, whether I choose to be generous with one of the guards, is my choice. And by the choices I make, I create the meaning of my existence and the formation of my personality as a result. Every one of our choices gives meaning to our lives. Every one of us is capable of making choices. And those choices give us the meaning of our lives. That said, I want to tell you kind of one last story. I tell you I believe that every person is capable of redemption. Every relationship is capable of being transformed by love and given meaning anew. Well, once upon a time, true story... I was visiting with my mother about my jerk of a cousin. <laughs> and I said, she said, I, I had, you know, we had dinner a couple of weeks ago. He's really a lovely young man. You would delight in meeting him again. And I said, you know, I remember him. His father was a jerk. I didn't like his father. He was an obnoxious young adult. I've never liked him, and I don't like him now, and I have no need to meet him. And my mother said, well, how long ago was it you had time with him? Oh, 40 years ago. 
you don't think he's changed in 40 years? And here I was, caught in my own theology. (laughs) You mean he might have actually changed? And that I might actually gain something by coming off of my judgmental high horse and humbling myself enough to actually approach him? Here I was being chastised and taught by my mother again. Darn. (laughs) No relationship beyond being made whole if we choose if we choose to make it whole i've used the word a couple of times redemption but i remember my audience what do you mean by that would you please define it so we can debate it later <laughs> and so i will define it for you to redeem means to set free to fulfill to be at one with To recover and make new. To recover and make new. I tell you that new life is ever waiting to break through and transform your community and your life and your family. To give it new meaning and to invite you to wholeness just so that you can begin again. You know, it's not over till it's over. And even then we aren't sure. At the end, all things work out. And if it hasn't worked out, you know what? It's not over. That's a universalist sentiment. 